1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul, who is the king of Israel, has disobeyed and ignored God one time too many. There, after a battle that God had given them the victory, Saul was ordered by God to do certain things which he refused to do. God had finally had enough. He said, Saul, you're done. You'll no longer be the king of my people. He called Samuel the prophet. God did. And he said to Samuel, the king that you anointed for me, Saul, has had the throne removed from him because of his great disobedience. So I have chosen for me another king, one that will obey me and serve me. Let's begin the story in 1 Samuel 25, 15, rather, verse 26. 15, 26. Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you because you rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, what's fascinating to note here, just as we begin, is that Saul was rejected and removed from the throne, but he was still sitting on the throne. Sometimes your sin has consequence that you're not aware of. Sometimes it takes a little while for it to ferment. Now, God was about to replace Saul with a man of his choosing. However... Saul was still sitting on the throne thinking he was king. But in the eyes of God, no. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says to the prophet, Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Maybe not a better king necessarily, but a better person. Someone who is better in tuned with my will. A man after God's own heart. And then we find Samuel the prophet weeping because he loved Saul. He anointed Saul, appointed him king over Israel and had great hopes for Saul. And Saul was a miserable failure. And now Samuel is weeping saw great promise in the man, saw great potential. But Saul got involved with himself and disobeyed God. Yeah, Samuel wanted him to succeed, wanted him to be the great king, but Saul could not obey God. And finally, God had gotten enough of watching Samuel mourn him. And God, in the Morrison translation, says, get over it. How long are you going to weep for this failed king? He disobeyed me. He disobeyed my word. And God says to Samuel, snap out of it. We have things to do. We have a country to run and a God to exalt. And the Lord will not be without his glory. Saul would not give me glory. And I will not be without my glory. And so... Samuel was given instructions by God alone. 
Just God and Samuel in the room. And God says to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And there, out of the house of Jesse, I have chosen Saul's successor. Now, here's the problem. Samuel lives in Ramah. In order to get to Bethlehem, he's got to go through Gilbea. And that's where Saul lives. God has a sense of humor. So I've got to leave Ramah, go through Gilbea, and go down to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Samuel, not being the smartest man in the world, like most preachers I know, said to God, I've got to go through Gilbea. What if Saul finds out what I'm up to? God said, Samuel, there's only two of us in the room, and I'm not telling. If Saul finds out, we all know how he did. Now go. And so Samuel, finally, accedes to the will of the Lord and, and says, okay, that's what we're going to do. In 16.1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, the anointing oil. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. And Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Oh, God. Every time you and I think of a problem, I said, every time we think of a problem, why we can't, why we shouldn't, why we don't need to, God's already got that worked out. Samuel, I've got you covered, son. You're my man. I need you. I need you to anoint the new king. I have this covered. Listen, when God tells you to do something that sounds pretty stupid, he's got it covered. And so in verse 6, he finally shows up. He gets to Bethlehem. And it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. Eliab was 6'5", 240 pounds, heck of a man, just like Saul. Saul was almost as tall as Goliath. Saul was a great big man. They wanted him for a king because they thought he was Big and strong and powerful and would be a great king. Samuel, being no more smart than that, sees Eliab. Big man, strong man, athletic, attractive, handsome, you might say pretty. Samuel thought, surely this is him. Why? We don't even have to go any further. Jesse's got eight sons, but we don't even have to look any further. There's Eliab. And God said to Samuel, I told you I picked a man. Don't get ahead of me here. Don't assume. I know none of us would ever assume God's will. I know none of us would ever get ahead of God. But what did Samuel do? Well, he's big, he's pretty, he's strong, he's powerful. Yeah, he'll do. Because we go on 
externals. Externals seems to be the way we live our lives. And Samuel thought, surely. God said, not so fast. Samuel, don't ever get ahead of me. The worst times in my life are when I've been out in front of God. Yours too. Don't get ahead of me. I said I made a choice. Now let's find out what that choice is. So he tells Jesse, I'm here to anoint a king from your family. Jesse's confused and probably thinking, I've already got a king. No, I'm here to anoint another one. Bring your boys in. I don't know if you catch the humor of this. Jesse, who also lives on externals, brings in his seven sons into the house. Excuse me. Jesse has eight. Jesse has eight. Where's the runt? Well, the runt's out there tending sheep, stinking like sheep, smelling like sheep, dirty like sheep. He doesn't have anything important to do. He's not trusted to do anything more than sit out there in the pasture and tend the sheep. He was not even invited to the party. And so one by one, they went down the line. No, not him. No, not him. No, not him. Finally, Samuel said, now, wait a minute. God has sent me to anoint the king from your sons. And God has not spoken to me about any of these boys. Don't you have any more sons? The runt. We, we, have, we have a runt. Bring him in. Dirty. Smelling. Verse 11 says, David was not even invited to the party. And as soon as the boy, the boy... The weakling, runt of a boy, dirty, stinking like sheep, walked in the room. God spoke to Samuel and said, there's your king. Now, wait a minute. The king we have is 7'7". Seven, seven. The oldest son is 6'5". You want the runt? But you see, our God does not work on externals. The Philistines, wanting to fight Israel, had a one-trick pony. And his name was Goliath. Their one-trick pony. They didn't want to fight. The army of Philistia didn't want to fight the army of Israel any more than Israel wanted to fight them. Goliath was the only one who wanted to pick a fight. One-trick pony. Israel didn't trust God. Philistia didn't trust themselves. So what happens is that for 40 days, don't miss the significance of that. For 40 days, twice a day, Goliath would come out and insult the armies and the God of Israel. Don't you have a man among you? Well, we have a king who's 7'7", but he's a coward. We have some boys here that are big strapping, 6'5", 240, but they're cowards. For 40 days, Goliath came out twice a day and insulted them. You see, boys and girls, there's something special about 40 in the Bible. You need to pay attention. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights on the face of the earth. 
Isaac was married at the age of 40, and when he died, Joseph had him mourned for 40 days. The birds from the ark were sent out in 40-day intervals. Moses lived a life of three 40-year sections, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years as the deliverer. When the Jews punished you, they gave you 40 stripes. When Jonah went to Nineveh, he gave them 40 days. When Jesus was out in the wilderness, he was there 40 days. And from the cross of Christ to the ascension of Christ, guess what? 40 days. And guess when David shows up on the battlefield? 40 days. The final day of judgment for Goliath. As if God were saying, I've heard enough of your insults. I've given you more than enough time to repent. Watch out. I'm sending the run after you. You ought to look into that. Judgment day for Goliath. God's not afraid of big Goliath. God doesn't need Saul the tall. God doesn't need bears to go kill this man. The runt will do. Little David, he'll do just fine. You see, everybody centers on externals. Well, if God's going to do a big thing, God needs a big man. (laughs) I stand as evidence. Adam, always judged on externals. The first time that Adam laid his eyes on Eve, he said, whoa, man. That's Hebrew for dabba dabba do. A man sees a woman, and what does he do? He first judges her on externals. And women don't get haughty. You do it too. When you see a man, you look for his bulk, you look for his hulk, you look for his muscle, you look for his attractiveness. We judge on externals. And David is being judged on externals. Del Curry was a great basketball player for Virginia Tech. One of the greatest shooters ever. He had a little boy named Steph. Steph, when Del moved to Charlotte, obviously went with his family. And Del was playing for the Charlotte Hornets. And Steph was going to a Christian high school in Charlotte. And even then, he was a great basketball player. But nobody was interested in Steph. Steph didn't have it. Steph was 6'2", 160 pounds. He was a runt. The coaches didn't want him. The scouts didn't want him. Nobody wanted little Steph. Steph wanted to go to UNC. Lived in Charlotte. Coach at UNC wasn't a bit interested. He said, well, then I'll go to UNC State and I'll show them. They didn't want him either. Dell, who had all that influence at Virginia Tech, tried to get him into Virginia Tech and they didn't want him. And Dell was a big donor. Finally, Dell's high school coach called a friend of his who was the coach at Davidson College. Davidson. 
Anybody got a Davidson t-shirt? Davidson took him. You remember 2008? It was just 10 years ago. You weren't that old. The Georgetown Hoyas, mighty, strong, were playing for the NCAA championship. And guess who they were playing? I didn't hear you. Davidson. Davidson was down 30. The game was over. The announcers were looking for filler to say something into the microphone. And finally, the coach at Davidson put in Steph. He scores 10. Then he scores 20. Then he scores 30. Takes over the game. And Davidson, David beat Goliath by four points that day. Because only his coach did not judge him on externals, but for what he was. Six two, 160. They said he didn't have any stamina. He couldn't hold up to the rigors of the game. He was a runt. Headline the next day in the newspaper, Davidson meets Goliath. He was on the cover of SI, Sports Illustrated. He was MVP of the NBA. He was multiple champions in the the NBA. He was voted most valuable player. He was now crowned just the other day with his next NBA championship, 6'2", 160 pounds. Most of the women in this room could whip him. We live on externals. God lives on character. God just cares about character. Saul was big and strong and powerful and influential, and everybody in Israel loved him and respected him and feared him, but he didn't have character. God looked into David's eyes, and he saw character. I don't care about your externals. I care about what's inside of you. We live on externals. God lives on character. Because one of those days, and it wasn't going to be very long, God needed a king who could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Saul would never be able to say that. David could. And God, through an underachieving boy, a runt, was able to say to Philistia, was able to say to Israel, to Samuel, to the soldiers, to Saul, to the citizens, and to every boy in Jesse's house, I'll do what I want to do. Don't do it on externals. And so, David was not the likely one, not the expected one. Nobody feared him, smelly little shepherd. But he trusted God. And he says in powerful arrogance, who is this uncircumcised heathen who insults God's army? He says in powerful arrogance, who is this army that does not have a God and does not believe and does not trust? Who is this nation 
that turns their nose up to the Almighty. Just another blasphemer, David's thinking to himself. Just another giant without a God. Goliath lost the fight that day, not because of David. He lost that fight because he decided to live his life outside of the protection of God. I hope you heard me say that. He insulted God for 40 days and 40 nights. David didn't kill that lion. The Spirit of God within him did. He didn't kill that bear. God's Spirit did. He didn't kill that giant. God's Spirit did. And I think that what we see here today more than anything else is the danger of ignoring God. You may not be a king, but you think your pants are pretty big. Sometimes you just think, I can do that. I can handle that. It's all right. Living on externals, trusting in the flesh. God doesn't need anybody. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. Thank God he chooses to use us. Thank God he saw to put his hand on a stinky, sheep-smelling runt like me. Thank God he just decides that he wants to bring glory to himself by doing the most unusual, strange, unexpected thing in the world. So he chose the unlikely. I suppose we could stop and talk a while, couldn't we? About God choosing the unlikely. Hello? Anybody want to raise your hand? God chooses the unlikely. God chooses the unexpected. God chooses things that nobody would ever know. It's always amazed me in church life how God will raise up somebody I would have never picked. Because God does what God wants to do. There's the difference between the outward appearance and the inner strength. We all live with conflicts. We have conflicts in our marriages, conflicts in schools, conflicts with our children, conflicts with our job, trials dark on every hand, and I cannot understand all the ways that he would lead me through the blessed promised land. Don't trust in you. Don't trust in your training. Don't trust in your ability. Trust in your almighty God who is always there standing ready to protect you with might and with wisdom. Your education, your money, it can't help you. You can have six PhDs and it won't get you off a sickbed. Won't get you off a deathbed. Won't get you out of poverty. Won't get you out of starvation. Who's going to do that for you? Nobody but God. Only God's protection works in my life and yours. It speaks to you in the night. Tells you it's going to be all right. How can you compare your success to his? Have you ever built a universe? Come back and see me when you have. Have you ever made a planet that actually works? Not paper machine. Have you ever caused a flood or stopped a sea? Have you ever divided a river so your people could get across? Have you even ever made a donkey talk? How do we compare our success to his? Who else would I trust? I will depend on 
God alone. I will represent God alone. I will give glory to God alone. Where are the blasphemers? Where is the giant of the world? Where are the doubters? They've all returned to the dust. So David says, you come in might and power. But I come in the name of El Shaddai. I come in the name of El Elyon and El Roy and El Nissi. I come in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Rock of Ages. Because our God looks past externals. And the reason God looks past externals is because he did the same thing with his son. So that 2,000 years later, another king would be anointed in Bethlehem, the house of bread. The same town where David was anointed. Another king, a better king, a stronger king, a greater king, a more mighty king was anointed in that town. Another David, a better David, a greater David. He comes meek and humble. He was born in a barn. He was living as a carpenter, revealed as a great teacher, proclaimed as the Messiah, exalted in heaven. And now he comes and rules and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. This God, All he's ever wanted to do is save you, love you, protect you, be your strength. And so I hold out my arms to all of the runts in the room and say, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to save you. He wants to protect you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you along life's narrow way. Is he your savior? Oh, I pray that He is. Is He your Savior? Because if He is, it doesn't matter if you think yourself a runt. All that matters is how big is your God. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, I thank You for Your Word and for the wonderful power of it. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would sink deep into our hearts, each and every one of us. That you would speak truth to us. That you would help us to understand that it's not us. It's never been us. It'll never be us. It's always you. For you don't deal in might and in power. But in that still, small voice. So speak to us. In that still, small voice. Teach us what it means to truly be your children and give us grace for the rest of our lives.